Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Subject very, very seriously, and I pray that um, that the Lord will just help me somehow to convey the the things that are in my heart. I realize that at some point that you just have to stop studying and you just can only bring so much material and so much information at one time in one setting. And so with great respect for your time, but we're talking about a a very important subject because it affects every aspect of our life. And it certainly ties together everything that we've been talking about up to this point. And so we're not just ending this evening sort of with a little dot, dot, dot at the end of the sentence. This is the bow tie on everything that we've been discussing for weeks. And so if we go to Galatians 5.22, just once again as a launch pad, the Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. This evening, my subject is on the final element of the fruit of the Spirit, and that is the subject of temperance. And I want to talk about temperance and mastering me, conquering me. Because no matter how many enemies you may consider to have in this world, the greatest enemy and the greatest thing that we must master is self. The book of Proverbs, Solomon said this in the 25th chapter and the 28th verse. He that hath no rule over his own spirit, over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. If you have no rule of your own spirit, he said you're like a city broken down and without walls. Amen. May the Lord bless you and you can be seated in the fear of his name today. It would be impossible, of course, to adequately cover the subject of self-control in just one normal setting. And so I just want to try to pull out just a few basic areas of temperance, and I will try to touch on some of the following points. I want to talk about a biblical definition of self-control. I want to talk about areas in our life where we may possibly lack self-control. I want to talk about a self-controlled life. And then finally, I don't want to just stir up the pot and then just leave us frenzied. I want to finally talk about how to develop self-control. Because if we talk about its absence and its importance and then don't try to make some sort of application how we can pull this into our life, then it will none have any rhyme or reason. We obtain a correct definition from the usage of this word, the Greek word for temperance, as it is used in Galatians 5 and 23, is defined as self-control, 
and that, that seems a little bit obvious, but I think to be more specific, it means to be strong in self-control, not just enough self-control to get us by certain surface circumstances or situations, but that we would be rooted and grounded and that we could be founded in self-control. The word temperance, as defined again by our text, is in this exact manner, is only used three other times in the New Testament, and that is in Acts 24, 25, and then two times it is mentioned in the same verse of 1 Peter 1 and 6. The word is used to speak of the purity of someone who masters his desires or masters their passions. And this gets very specific in our study about sensual appetites or any really other appetite that appeals to our flesh. We have to be very, very careful that we are temperate. That doesn't mean that we just have figured out how to stop flying off the handle in public or losing our cool in front of people, but it means that our passions and our desires are kept in check when no one else is looking when no one else can read our mind or our thoughts. And so self-control consists of the right use of our will. In, in the case of someone that has been certainly born again of the water and the spirit, it means that it is the, it, it is the right use of our will under the controlling power of the Holy Spirit. And so here's the good news tonight, that we're not just trying to do this on our own power or through our own shrewdness or our own abilities, but if we've been born again of the water and of the Spirit, <coughs> then we need to understand that we have a controlling force beyond our own nature. Now, that doesn't mean that we can just spiritualize everything and that God is just going to take all of this out of us. We're going to have to learn how to exercise this under the direction or the control of the Holy Spirit. Uh, again, I want to remember and remind you, I want you to remember, so I will remind you that each aspect, as we've just studied, of the fruit of the Spirit builds upon the previous. They are all like beads on a thread, one dependent upon the other. And so in the case of temperance or moderation or self-control, it should be obvious to us that it cannot be exercised properly without the previous aspects already at work in our life. We need all of this that we've been talking about. And I, I realize that when we're talking about a study that we've been doing for a number of weeks, it is hard to remember all of that. And so I'm going to kind of back up just a little bit here in just a moment. The unique thing about temperance is that it not only builds on the previous aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, but the, the aspect of temperance is a necessary ingredient in every other aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. So let me give you an example here. If we were to manifest love, we're going to talk about these other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. If we're going to manifest love, joy, fruit, if we're going to manifest love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, and meekness, if we're going to do that without temperance or without self-control, then that's going to lead to spiritual confusion. Does that make sense? Can you imagine? These are all good qualities, love. But what if you had love without restraint? Love without boundaries? Love without fences? What if you had even 
even joy or peace or long-suffering. I mean, long-suffering, there needs to be, uh, even with goodness and faith and meekness, all of this needs to be bridled and throttled and regulated by the Spirit of God, by the anointing of God. There needs to be a temperance to that. And so if all of these good qualities were in our life working without restraint, it would lead to spiritual confusion. Amen. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says that God is not the author of confusion. And so we know that self-control is something that God wants us to have in our life. And so it's a battle of the flesh and it's a battle of the spirit. Since we were referring to the fruit of the spirit, then we must realize that no one can exercise proper self-control without the help of, of the spirit of God. Paul perhaps best illustrates this battle for self-control in the seventh chapter of Romans. Now, I know that this seventh chapter for many of us is a familiar passage of Scripture, and uh, I, I love the King James Bible. That's what I have open before me. But for the sake, it can be a little bit of a tongue twister in the King James Version. So I'm going to read the New King James Version of Romans seven fifteen through 19 because I, we, we need to understand this in our language. Here's what Paul said. Now, this, this was not a man who was slothful, this was not a man who was carnal. This was not a man who was given to self-appetites and fleshly desires. Paul was probably one of the most spiritual men that we have any record of. A man mightily used by God. But in a moment of transparent honesty, I'm thankful that he kind of lowers his shield of self-defense and he lets us read a little bit of the inscription upon his heart. And this is what he said. He said in Romans 7 and 15, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. I could just stop reading right there, give an altar call. We could all go home because we've all found ourselves right there. Paul is saying, what in the world is going on in my own life? I can't seem to get it together. In verse 16, he said, If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not, but the evil I will not do that I practice." Paul was saying, I don't want to do some things, but that's what I find myself doing. Other things that I desire to do for the life of me, I just can't seem to get my hand on that. And we have all found ourselves there. There's no one here, perhaps, that would not desire to be more spiritual. And by that, I don't mean levitating a few inches off the ground. I mean to be more spiritual, to be more prayerful, to be more studious, to be more faithful to the kingdom of God, to think about the things of God. And so there have been times, certain occasions that perhaps we found ourselves in, whether it was a, a, a one particular service or a series of services or a camp meeting and and we thought when that service was over, we were under such conviction, we were just gonna go home. And the preacher said, we were just made a commitment, we were gonna fast till our belly button falls off. And we were just, we just felt that in our heart. We're just gonna give this to God. 
And then the next morning comes and we make it through breakfast and we make it through noon and then around two o'clock we're thinking, you know what? The news, that burning desire is just somehow quieted and we find ourselves just back into our old self. How many times have we said, you know, this is the dawning of a new year. The church is promoting uh, our Bible reading and so I'm gonna read the Bible through this year. I'm gonna give it everything I've got and we come out of the gate strong. Matter of fact, January the 1st, we read more than just one day. We read two or three days. Check them off because, man, this is exciting and then all of a sudden we get over there in Leviticus and we're going, oh my Lord. If we made it to Leviticus, that is... (laughs) And so we come out of the gate strong. We think this is great. This is what I want to do. And so this is what Paul is saying. Now he's not giving us a license to say this is all right. But Paul is saying there is this struggle and we must recognize this struggle. If we don't recognize that flesh is is leading me and guiding me and flesh is the one making all the decisions here, then I'm gonna be a carnal man or a carnal woman. And so Paul realizes he is in a struggle for self-discipline to just do those things that are right. Amen, you know, it's all about discipline. It's all about discipline. And I don't wanna get off track here at all, but I've always been amused through the years. There's always been, there's always been, uh, you know, fads and, and all new ideas about diets and, and uh, I could certainly stand to lose a few pounds and uh, I'll think if you hadn't noticed that, and I'm sorry for pointing it out if you if you had not. But I always hear people say you you do this, take this, and then, and and this along with diet and exercise, and you're bound to lose weight. Well, you know what? You can drink water with diet and exercise, and just take a deep breath with diet and exercise, and then you're probably gonna you're probably gonna lose weight. And that's not to say that there's not some things that help us, but. But here, here, my point is, is that what people are trying to say is what you gotta do is you gotta do the fundamental things, the basic things. And so, uh, we, we, Paul further realizes that, that on his own, of his own volition and strength, there is no way of escape. Romans 8 and 1, the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And so without the help of the spirit, we'll utterly fail at self-discipline. We need the help of the spirit. And so we wanna pray every day, God help me today. God my steps today. Amen, sometimes it's just easier some days to pray than it is others. You can amen on that or not. Some days it's easier to read the Bible and even study the word of God than it is at others. And so on those days where we're struggling, we're gonna have to say, God help me today to have the discipline to go back and do this again because because with failure always comes frustration and condemnation when we don't pray, when we don't fast, when we don't attend church, when we don't do the things that we know are right, then comes spiritual frustration and and then condemnation. But to those who yield control over to the spirit of God, there is a release from that frustration and a release from that uh, and a release from that condemnation. We have to deal with that lack of self-control. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, I'll read these scriptures a little bit later, but in this, Paul makes a clear, makes, makes clear that failure, he said, failure to bring my body, he refers to, or myself, into subjection. 
He said, I run the risk of being a castaway. Amen, that's what he said. If I don't bring myself under subjection, my own body, my own self, then I myself may become a castaway or to be disqualified. In these scriptures, Paul is referring to a race as a man would run a race. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses one through 12, Paul uses ancient Israel as an example of the lack of self-control. Amen, they were guilty of the lack of self-control in four areas, and so I want us to consider these four areas here basically tonight. One of the things that Paul referred to their lack of self-control was over idolatry. Now, I know when you use the word idolatry in the 21st century, we automatically let ourselves off the hook and say, well, I don't have any idols in my house. You're not talking to me. But idolatry is as prevalent today as it has ever been in the, in the, in the heart of man. Here's what Exodus 20 and 4 says. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And so again, we think, well, you know, we we didn't bow down to some graven image today, but there are some things that we do idolize in our lives. And there are some things that we feel like we just could not do without. Amen. Regardless of how quiet it is right now, there are some things that we just have in our life to think, I just don't, I don't know if I can do without that. And, and if I'll meddle here for just a moment because it'll be meddling in my own life. Sometimes we, we're, we're, uh, we will do fast in our church and we may do the Daniels fast or progressive fast or whatever. And so one of the first things that we give up in that journey is caffeine. And people are going, oh, I don't know if I can do without my cup of coffee now. Now, I know we've got a cup of coffee in our mind a long way from a graven image, but there are just certain things that we idolize. There are certain things that we don't want to do without. And so there are times that things can have a higher priority in our lives than developing a walk with God. Now, I know that we all need to work and we all, uh, a man that won't provide for his own is worth than an infidel and things of that nature. I get all of that. But you see, when we put our career in front of God, then all of a sudden we are idolizing something above God. Amen. You see, if we'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that's what this book says, then he'll add these things that we, these necessary things that we need. He's not talking about I'll add toys and trinkets to your life, but he's saying if you'll put me first, I promise that I will take care of you. And so when we define things in our lives that if we're not careful have come between us and God, and you know what? If we're honest, we're all guilty at some point and we'll have to put a little check mark by our our own life and realize I allowed that to become an idol in my life. The next thing that Paul refers to ancient Israel of being guilty of is fornication. And again, I know where our mind goes when we say that. Well, I'm not guilty of that because we only have our mind walk down one avenue. But James 4 and 4 says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. 
Amen. That is saying that friendship with the world is equivalent to spiritual fornication. I'm gonna tell you what I think. Amen, you, you can just accept this or reject it. But I think it is immoral for a married man or a married woman to just, you may not commit adultery, so to speak, amen, but for you to flirt all week long, all day long, for you to wink at this one and, and gotchas and all these little, these little slimy things all day long and then come home at the end of the day and set your lunch pail on the counter, you have been unfaithful, sir. Amen. Why? Because you have allowed your passions to go somewhere else, your ideas, your thoughts, your emotions. And you know, sometimes we got all those winks and smiles and all those cute sayings and we don't have anything but grumbles and gripes for our companions. Amen. Is this all right? Somehow turned into a marriage seminar, didn't it? Amen. But it's spiritual fornication whenever we have got time for everything else and we embrace. I wonder what the Lord thinks sometimes when, when sin, I'm talking about vile sin, doesn't even stir our righteous indignation. I wonder what God thinks about that. The things that would offend God and we walk up and put our arm around it. The things that would be an abomination to the Lord and we pat it on the head and say it's not that bad. It'll all be all right. The scripture refers to that as spiritual fornication. If you're a friend with the world, he said that's enmity with God. So we must live in a world of self-control. Amen. In a world we are in but not controlled by. In a world that we are in but it doesn't influence us to the point that it makes our decisions. Amen. He, He accused Israel of tempting Christ. An example of Israel tempting the Lord a prime example of the, of Israel attempting the Lord is found in Numbers 21 and 5. The Bible says the people spake against God and spake and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul doth loathe this light bread. Amen. They just pointed their finger in the face of Moses and God and said, did you bring us out here just to let us die? Amen. They were tempting the Lord. I mean, the Lord wanted to, as a matter of fact, this was a very costly accusation. Thousands of people died over this scripture. Yes, yes, yes. Amen. As a homework assignment, just go home and read it. I mean, this is where the brazen serpent came into play. They spoke against God-ordained authority. Now, they spoke against God, so they were sure enough in trouble, but they spoke against Moses. They spoke against God-ordained authority. And so if we were to go before, a few verses before Galatians 5 and 22, if we went to Galatians 5, 19, 20, and 21, before we have the list of the fruit of the Spirit, Paul lists some things uh, that are that are works of the flesh, not fruit of the spirit, but works of the flesh. And among those, in these three verses, Paul gives this word, seditions. Amen, that is one of the works of the flesh. Sedition is defined as an incitement of resistance or insurrection against lawful authority. And that's what Paul said is a work of the flesh. And so when you raise up against lawful or God or thing ordained authority, then we are finding ourselves tempting the Lord. Amen. It's very, very dangerous. The Bible says, touch not mine anointed. Do my prophets no harm. That's a very serious scripture that ought to be branded in our heart. Uh, the fourth thing that, that Paul lists 
of Israel of old being guilty of was to murmur. Now, murmur is not necessarily the word we use today. We would, if the same word used in context in our vocabulary today would be to grumble. The Israelites complained and they grumbled about their leaders and they grumbled about their situation in life and they grumbled about their meals. Now think about their meals were heavenly meals ordered every day, divinely brought down. I'm being serious. Every day God provided exactly what they needed. Every day was a day of miracles. Every day. Every day was a day of miracles. And yet they murmured and complained about their situation in life. And so in scripture, murmuring and complaining, grumbling, complaining is never approved of. As a matter of fact, it always brings judgment. And so this is obviously and in no wise uh, represents self-control when you just start murmuring and complaining. And let me just say this and insert that. That is a spirit. And once that spirit gets a hold of you, it won't just affect one area of your life. You'll grumble and complain about everything there is under the moon. Amen. So the lack of self-control is at the root of a number of things that we deal with today. Not, not just mental and emotional, but physical and spiritual ills that are dealt with today. So consider with me some, uh, some ways that we may refer even to our own lack of self-control. And I tried to be real gentle here, but, uh, I'm trying to find things that nevertheless would apply to some, if not maybe all of us. There are times we just say, you know, I just have a bad habit of overeating. There are some people that just, you know, they can, one of the things that they just can't be on time. Amen? Some things that people battle with are unfinished projects. They've got 13 irons in the fire. Way too many irons, not enough fire. We talk about, oh, I, I need to pray more and I need to fast more. Or we talk about maybe sometimes our inability to forgive. All of these are areas where we lack self-control or self-restraint. Amen. And so at the root of all of these, and of course the list could go on and on and on, is the same problem, and that is the lack of self-control. To say when is enough, enough. When is too little, too little. Amen. I want to say, Lord, help me to find that balance. They David said, my foot standeth in an even place. I want to find that balance. Let's talk about areas where we as men and women can lack self-control. One of those would be in the areas of sensual desires. Solomon said in Proverbs 6 and 26, for by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Another translation of this very scripture says this, for a prostitute will bring a man to poverty and the adulteress may cost him his very life. And so we have to watch our desires. We are all made of the same thing, eight to 80. We're all wired the same. We all have the same flesh. And so we have to bring our sensual desires under control. Amen. Now don't, don't think I'm preaching too strong today because our kids heard way worse than that on the bus going, coming home from school. Amen. We got to learn how to get this under control and keep it under control. James 1 and 5 said, or 1 and 15 says, for when lust is conceived, hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The devil is after to kill, steal, and destroy. 
Another area that we deal with is the area of finance. Proverbs 21 and 20, the Bible says, there is a treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. Amen. There is a treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. We've got to ask God to help us. Amen, these areas where we lack self-control. Help us to be prudent. Help us to be wise in our spending. Amen, help us to be very, very careful and cautious. Luke said in Luke twelve sixteen, he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said this, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods and I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall these things be which, days, which thou hast provided? Who's gonna own this now? Whose barn will this be now? In just a few hours, this will mean nothing. He said, so it is he that lay up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now I think this probably doesn't need to be inserted here but I will for the sake of maybe trying to answer it in your mind if it's there. I don't think that God is teaching us against having things. I don't think God is against us having some stuff but when that stuff has us there is where we get in trouble. He said to myself, can't you just see him standing in that three-way mirror taking a deep breath? Man, you've done good for yourself. Amen. You've done well. You're a good man. You're a good man. And he was so intoxicated on his own prosperity until the Lord said, let me show you something. I will take your life tonight and tomorrow, who will own that? Tomorrow, where will all of this go? So we must be very careful to be temperate in the area of finance. What about the area of ambitions? We certainly want to be ambitious. We certainly want to have goals. But Solomon said in 20 three four Proverbs twenty three four labor not to be rich cease from thine own wisdom he said don't just work to get if that's what motivates you you'll lose sight of everything around you Amen. Matthew 19, 21, 22, Jesus said unto him, if thou will be perfect, go and sell that thou that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come follow me. This is talking about the rich young ruler. But when the young man heard that saying, he away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He said, you have asked me to pay something that I have not the ability to do, not tangibly, but from his heart. I can't give this away. And so he walked away sorrowful. Amen. Another, another aspect of that deals with an area where we have to deal with self-restraint is the area of anger. Proverbs 25 and 28, the Bible says, and, and this was a part of our scripture text, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. We must master me. I've got to get me under control. Have you met people, then I'm not trying to conjure up any bad 
images or feelings, but have you met people that are, I've met people that are just off the chain. Now, I'm not talking about just a little bit run out in the ditch, but I'm talking about people that just have no self-restraint, just act like anything, anywhere, at any time. You just never know where they're going to go off. No restraint. The Bible says they're like a city without walls. There is no control. There is nothing there to hold them together. And so we've got to hold our emotions. We've got to keep them in check. The Bible talks about angering and sinning not. Let's talk about the self-controlled life. The Bible says here we are. These are the scriptures I mentioned a moment ago. I referred to them. Now I'd like to read them. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they that do it to obtain a corruptible, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Therefore, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly or aimlessly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. And he said, there I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And so from this picture, from this scriptural picture, we get a, the, a good, perhaps a fuller meaning of self-control. Paul is contrasting exercising control over his body against running aimlessly. He said, I've got to do this with purpose. I've got to do this with intention. Amen. He believes that an athlete uh, is going to exercise self-control. And so he uses an athlete or a man, a person in a race, uh, so that he can make a more clear word picture in our mind. Because an athlete, somebody that is running, they have a clearly defined purpose are a clearly defined goal. If you're running a 5K or if you're running a 1,000 yards or a 100 yards or whatever it may be that you're running, a mile, you have a clearly defined purpose, you have a clearly defined goal, and you know that when you step up to the line. They cannot afford to be distracted by other things or other desires that come along because they have a clearly defined goal. Let's talk about four aspects of a self-controlled life. A self-controlled life certainly must begin in our mind. If we don't make up our mind, can I get an amen? It's got to begin in our mind. It has to begin there. We can't hope to exercise self-control in our lives if we cannot discipline our mind. That's why there's so many scriptures that talk about our mind. Paul said to the Philippian church, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul said to the church at Corinth, he said, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This is powerful stuff that Paul is saying. We gotta get a hold of our mind. A self-controlled life must have some positive goals. Again, I'm gonna go back to Paul's illustration of a runner. Amen, that in a race, Paul said everybody is running, but only one person is gonna get the prize. And so I gotta run this race, not to just be among the masses, but I wanna run this race to win. As someone said, we're in it 
to win it. Absolutely. I don't want to just start out this way, but I want to win this race. And so the goal is to win the prize. The motivation for self-discipline is that there is a prize to be won. And so there is a prize to be won. That's why I want to discipline myself. Many people never exercise self-control in their lives because they have no godly goals. They have no godly goals and so there's no reason to exercise any self-restraint. But if you've got a godly goal in your mind, amen, if you've got a godly goal, that will bring the motivation in your life to discipline yourself. I want to be a better husband tomorrow, next month, next year than I am today, a better preacher. I'm not saying this for the the sake of uh, this moment. I want to be a better pastor this time next year. And so with that goal in mind, Amen. That motivates me to discipline myself, to prayer, to study, to fasting, to consecration. It's easy for me to talk about me, but let me turn this on you. If you have a spiritual goal tonight, what is that? And is that spiritual goal in your life enough? Is it significant enough that it brings discipline to your walk with God? Amen. I can't do this over here because I want to focus on this over here. Praise God. Self-controlled life involves discipline. True athletes practice. They practice strict self-control. I am amazed. I am truly amazed when you think about and read about, study some of the lives of, of, of uh, people who... Uh, participate in the Olympics and things of that nature. I'm not just here to pick on that, but I'm just, I'm always been amazed by the dedication, multiple hours every day. That is their job. They, many of them have never worked a secular job or anything beyond that because from childhood they have trained and that is all they have ever done. I read an article not that long ago. I think it's Michael Phelps, the the great swimmer about how many hours a day, every day his life is consumed with it. And so we wonder why a man would wear a medal or a woman would wear a medal. That didn't happen accidentally. And when you see someone mightily used of God, friend, that wasn't a silver spoon in their mouth. It wasn't their last name that that somehow served as a catalyst to put them in the greatness of God. You can rest assured someone has been when everybody else was playing, when everybody else was goofing around when everybody else was living to the wind they were focused upon something amen once that individual was made aware of the prize you know what happened when David walked into the camp with a little bitty bag lunch one of the things they said as a prize is going to be the king's daughter and he asked them to repeat that am I right say what now Just food for thought. Discipline is required if we're going to be effective. Self-control demands focus. The runner that Paul is referring to is running to win. Win. He said, you're winning a prize. This man is running after a prize that is destined to fade. But we are not running after a prize that will fade. This is an eternal prize. And so I must stay focused or I'm going to lose my way. Proverbs 29, 18, we've heard this 
read, quoted, taught, preached. We've heard it every way. Where there is no vision, the people perish. This literally means if there is no dream, people disappear. If there is no goal, we have nothing to run for. If there is no prize, we have nothing to reach for. But Paul said, I reach. I am pressing. I am. There is something in front of me and I am reaching for that. And so if we lose our focus on the things of God, then we lose our ability to stay in this fight. Amen. So here, let's talk about in closing this evening, and you musicians, you can just say where you are if you'd like, but let's talk about developing self-control. Self-control begins with absolute, total submission to God. Here I am, Lord. Amen. Romans 12 and 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God and so from this passage we see that self-control is necessary necessary to live for God when Paul said we present ourselves our bodies we present our bodies he's inferring several things God will not make us submit to him and serve him. He's saying we must willingly present ourselves. You gotta come. God's not gonna put us in a headlock. Amen, we gotta willingly present ourselves. So without self-discipline, we, we cannot present ourselves to him. Presenting ourselves to God, he said that is just your reasonable service. Notice this submission is a submission of body, soul, and spirit. It is all of us, all of our passions. Setting spiritual goals is an absolute imperative in developing self-control. Colossians 3 and 2, the Bible says, Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Matthew 6.33, the Bible says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And so being faithful every day develops self-control. Every day, every day, every day. And so every day should be undergirded with prayer. Every day should be undergirded with reading the word of God. And can I say this, when I talk about reading the word of God, I think there ought to be meditating on the word of God, not just reading it to get through some checkpoint, mastering five chapters, two chapters, three, 10, 12, whatever it may be, a day, and then kind of hit the buzzer at the end, amen, but to read the word of God, let that word soak in us, amen. Take time every day for praise and worship every day to magnify the Lord and worship him. And every day, self-control is developed when we pray and ask God for strength to be temperate every day. Romans 6.13, the Bible says, Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those things are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. And I understand that you get the message of that. He's not talking about walking around with our eyes closed and our hands clasped together, but to live every day in a spirit of prayer, a spirit of prayer, to be prayerful. And so temperance or self-control cannot be accomplished without the help of the Spirit. It just cannot happen. It's a daily battle between the flesh and the Spirit. God not only desires for us to have self-control, but God wants us to be masterful 
in this area, to be strong in self-control. Not self-control every now and then, not self-control three out of seven days, four out of seven days, but to be in control of our life. Without self-control, the other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit They just lose their meaning without temperance. I mentioned a moment ago, joy unbridled, love unbridled, meekness unbridled, temperance, all of these things unbridled, all of these things work better when there is in moderation. Amen. When it is controlled, controlled. Love, if I could just use this as an example, love without restraint is in time not pure. Amen. After a while, meekness without any restraint is not pure. None of the things that we've discussed, if they do not have attached to them temperance, restraint, control, without these, all of the fruit of the Spirit lose their value. But with the help of God and persistent discipline, we can maintain these things and become what God has destined for us to be. Amen. This is not about shouting on Sunday. This is not just about, this is not just about learning the words to a song or going through motions. This is about the art and the, the, the journey of becoming what God desires for us to be. Amen. Can we stand together in this house? Praise God. I wonder if we would just lift our hands and with our voices, if we could ask the Lord. I know it's been a long journey, but I wonder if we could just ask the Lord to help us to take the aspects of the fruit that we have discussed in this series and ask God to just somehow bring this into the fabric of who we are as a man or a woman, a mother, a father, a young person, aunt, an uncle, a leader, a neighbor, a friend, whatever titles we may possess, these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, these manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit, they ought to be resident in our heart. Not every now and then, not here and there, not along and along, but every day, God, help us to evolve and become what you desire for us to be. In the name of Jesus, we know no greater name. We know no greater place to turn to ask as our source of strength. And so we come to you this evening asking you today to honor your word and honor us for gathering around your word tonight. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name we pray. Praise God. Aren't you thankful that you came to the house of God tonight? Amen. Let this word, let this word add to your heart. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Uh, I'll just insert it right here because I, I want you to understand well what the meaning, the purpose of what we're doing here tonight. The Swanee River, when it starts out in Georgia, doesn't look anything like what it looks like when it dumps out in Swanee. Many big rivers or a few big rivers or bodies of water dump into the Swanee River and several notable springs dump into it. But no matter where you stop along the Swanee and you scratch around the dirt, there'll be just a little trickle of water that's pouring out. And so I pray that when we come together, we realize no matter when we come 
There may be some services you feel like you take a lot more home than other services, but realize this, you never go home empty because there's always something pouring into us when the Word of God is shared with us. Amen. May the Lord bless you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.